Welcome to Word of Grace, a local assembly in the Berkshires. Thank you for joining us for this time in the Word. Okay, this morning, read a few scriptures, and then we'll see what God has for us. In Galatians 5, verse 16 says this, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one, the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you are led of the spirit, you are not under the law. And verse 24 says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the passions and lusts. And then in Galatians 6, verse 14, it says this, But God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. That's very interesting because what it's clearly speaking of here is the fact that when it says the world is crucified unto me, it doesn't matter and it is of no consequence to us what the world thinks of us because we're in Christ. And then when it says an I unto the world, it's of no consequence or it means absolutely nothing what we would think about ourselves outside of Christ. The cross has crucified both and done away with both through Christ. So when I read about the cross, and clearly this is speaking of the fact that we can walk in the Spirit, is the fact that Christ has accomplished and finished the work on the cross. And when he did, he went up and he sent down the Holy Spirit of promise. We wouldn't even have be able to walk by the Spirit if it hadn't been for what Christ had already accomplished on the cross. The cross crucified what the world would think of me outside of him. And the cross, Christ on the cross, who he is and what he accomplished in his person and his work, crucified whatever I in the flesh, that's not who I am, would think of myself outside of him. So the me and the I that would function under the authority of the world has been crucified. So the cross here then, we can see this very clearly, is first and foremost for God's glory. It was God's glory that was at stake, what Christ has accomplished for his Father and for us. It's God's glory. His glory, his integrity, his righteousness is completely satisfied. Completely satisfied. The cross is the means. What happened with Christ and who he is and what he accomplished on the cross is always that that will deliver us from what the world thinks of me and what I think of me outside of Christ. It's for our salvation. And then it goes into our standing. And, what, and we want to get into some of these truths 
positional, foundational growth truths, our standing is our position in who we are in Christ. And then there's our state, or what is my experience while on earth. And God, through the cross, and through what Christ has accomplished and given to us, and that we experience by the power of the Holy Spirit, is working in us, in our experience, what we are in reality and our position in Christ. And it's paramount. It's very, very big in the economy of God and, of course, for our experience. And so the cross, again, is for God's glory. It's for our deliverance, because that's what salvation always speaks of. It's deliverance. We're constantly being delivered. It has to do with our standing or our position, and it has to do with our state or our condition before God. It is the turning point of everything. Our sins were put away. Our old sin nature by the cross, through Christ on it and what he accomplished in his person, has crucified it. He's crucified the sin nature. They are put away. <laughs> Boy. Our sins are put away. What does the enemy want us to focus on? Sins. They're put away. They're put away. God forbid in Romans 6, 1 and 15 that we should sin that grace may abound. Of course we don't. We don't use grace in, in, in Galatians 5, 13 as a license to sin, but as a license, the ability to serve God, to serve Him, to worship Him. And so it's the turning point of everything. Our sins are dealt with. And the old I... The old man that seeks to come back and express itself through the flesh <laughs> has been put away. It's been crucified. That's clearly what it's saying here. That's why the cross is the turning point of everything. All, all, and when we say all, it has to do with the sin nature and what the sin nature would produce since. Sin is who I am before I sin, and sins or what I accomplish in that sin nature, are all put away in God's sight according to his glory. Yeah. I mean, it's done. It's finished. It's all clean and gone. So on one side, what the cross has accomplished is a dead world. It's a dead world. 1 Timothy 5, 6, she that lives in pleasure outside of Christ is dead while she lives. So on one side, there's a dead world. On the other side is a dead self. <laughs> the me and the I. A dead world, what the, what the world system under the power of Satan in any measure, in any way of manifesting who we are outside of Christ is dead. It's been crucified. The world has been crucified unto me. And then I unto the world, a dead self. The I is, is who I would be outside of Christ. So Galatians 2.20, Paul makes it very clear. 
the Holy Spirit for every single one of us. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Yet not us, not I, but Christ lives in us. And this life that we now live in this body, we live by the faith, absolute dependence. We live by the faith of the Son of God. Who what? What's to be our experience? Who loved us and gave himself for us. So here's a reality. Again, on one side is a dead world, and on the other side of the cross is a dead self. So when those thoughts come in from either the world or the flesh that seeks to act in us and to try to define us by, the answer is the cross. It's been crucified, and it was the glory of God that did it. We can rest assured he's completely satisfied. So, then what does this mean? Well, this is what it means. What it means here is, is that it's the end of ourselves for the world. <laughs> it's the end. The end of ourselves for the world. And the end of the world for us. There's nothing here. Nothing here. It's the end of the world for us. The question would be that God would, would have us to say without any condemnation and with the most tender, compassionate love, have we lost Christ? Maybe not so much as the object of our faith, of our dependence. Maybe not so much that. But is he the object of our affection? I mean, is he everything to us? Boy, when he is, when we think in terms of that, keeps the world out. Keeps the world out from me and me out from the world. Coming under the influence of the God of this world. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. The prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2. Well, when that happens, isn't that where we begin to decline? Isn't that? Not so much in the sense that he's the object of our faith. Our abs- we, we know we've got to depend on him. But when we get away from the fact of such affection in him and about him, for us, us for him and in him, isn't that where we begin to decline? Isn't that where it happens in Revelations 2 verse 4? Where, where Christ began to address the local assembly there and where he would begin to, to address us, his church, each one of us. Have we left our first love? Have we left the fact, of course, his love will never, he, he will never leave us in his love and his deep desire and affection for us, ever. But have we got away from that? And even when we do, does he, is there any condemnation to us in the love that loves us? Of course not. But, that's where it begins. And has the Holy Spirit been so grieved in Ephesians 4.30 that he can no longer make good to us what is true of us in Christ? Because we get involved with the world thinks about us and then we get involved in the flesh about what we think about ourselves when in reality God's glory 
His glory is satisfied. It's been crucified and dealt with and been done away with. Well, then the question would be then, what would be the disposition, uh, the, the disposition or the desire that we might have? What can it be satisfied apart from Christ in us? Whatever it is. What's our disposition? What is our desire? Can it ever be satisfied apart from him? Well, has he satisfied to God and for us and about us everything? Has he settled every single thing about us? Because in him, truly, there's every beauty. All beauty is in him. All the, the gracious charm is in him. And all God's glory made in him. He's the object of the eternal affection of God his Father. And we're in him. We're in him. The cross has removed and settled everything. It's settled every single thing. And in him is our all. Colossians 3.11. He's our all. He is our everything. And all will be disappointment and emptiness outside of him. But we're in him. And the cross has eliminated everything to God's glory and for our blessing. Everything. It's all done. And we're hidden in him. We're hidden in him. Hidden from the world. The world doesn't know us. The world can't define us. Only but by Satan. <laughs> and our flesh certainly can't. <laughs> Is there any good in it? Is there anything of God's grace in it? Anything of Christ in it? No. It's been crucified. And if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill what the lust of the flesh dictates to us. Because when that happens, then we have to go to the world to fulfill it. Because <laughs> that's the only place the flesh can go to try and satisfy what's disappointment to it or to try and fulfill a desire that it really doesn't do it any good because it's outside of Christ. And then you have to go to the world to fulfill it. Not a very good place. But the joy, that, that joy, that escape, that you and I would be looking for in the world, we would be leaving behind what is ours and turning away from him. <laughs> to try and fulfill it. To try and fulfill it. Well, but he's the same towards us and he wants to make that crystal clear to us this morning. As his. We're his. Listen, we are his and no one else's. We are not our own. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Listen, we have been bought with a price. We are not our own. Our flesh has no rights over us. The world has no rights over us. And no thought has any authority or right over us outside of Christ. Outside of God being glorified. Christ in us. In Colossians 1, 27. The hope, the guarantee of to experience eternal glory, to be made partakers of it. 
an incredible thing. So he's the same, even in failure. Even in our failure, he's the same. He's not different. He never changes in Malachi 3.6, in James 1.17, and in Hebrews 13.8. He never changes. Never. He never loses his beauty. He never loses his charm. He never loses that thing that is so attractive that we can't do without, but that's ours in him. It's ours. He not only gave us every single thing he accomplished, but he gave us himself. Huh. Read this morning, he ever lives. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Oh my God, he's living. And he's ever living to intercede for us. Anything that would keep us outside of experience of the beauty, the charm, the attractiveness of his love for us. He's the same. And failure doesn't lessen his fullness. Failure does not lessen the fullness of his love for us. It doesn't. Why? Because it is still for us. Do we think that when we fail that God's not for us? Oh, he's for us still. Oh, yes, he is. He's still for us. When the world influences how we think about ourselves or when our flesh influences how we think about ourselves and the world will always try to instruct us and the flesh will always try to instruct us how to think about God. But is he for us in the midst of our failure? Is he still for us? And yes, he is. He's still for us. Because the message of the cross so manifestly declared is, I love you. And anything that could stop that love is clean gone and settled for everything. The cross has settled everything. It's removed. Christ on the cross has removed all distance. All distance. That's the message. And that's love's sweetest story that was told. At his awful cost and everything that he went through, we were bought. And this is a triumph, but it's only known to those that absolutely depend upon it. Absolutely depend upon it. We've said some of these things before, but as we begin to wrap this up this morning, God would have us to stand on Christ with both feet. In James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It's like having two souls, one for the world and one for Christ. And confusion in 1 Corinthians 14.33 is trying to think two things are right. What the world or the flesh thinks of me and what God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit thinks of me. Stand on Christ with both feet and when we do, we're safe. That means all our weight, everything about us is to stand on him and not try to stand on ourselves in 
anything. Not to depend upon ourselves in anything. Not to depend upon the world. Not to try and want approval from the world. Not trying to want approval from the flesh, which only equals performance and only can ultimately end in, O wretched man that I am. In Romans 7.24. But God, even in that failure, will lead us to the fact that it's Christ. In verse 25 of Romans 7, it's all Christ. And what does that lead to in Romans 8? One, no condemnation. And finishes with no separation in the 39th verse. So both feet on Christ were safe. Place one foot on something else, and that something else gives way, we fall. We begin to fall. It, truths in Christ are foundational. They're, they're, we cannot do without them, because it's really who we are. Both feet, both feet. And then, at the end of Galatians, the sixth chapter, we get into Ephesians. And Ephesians, and we want to end with this, is all about our standing in Christ. It is our position in Christ. It is God's eternal view of us in Christ. We have our standing in Christ. This must not be weakened. Must not be. And there must not be any turning aside from our place before God and Him. That's what the enemy seeks to do. That's what the flesh does. It seeks to turn our place away before God and Him. When the standing is known, when positional truth is known, when that foundation is solid, then and only then is just the beginning of the Christian life. That's just the beginning. That foundation. Because now you can build the beautiful house. But that foundation has to be laid. And that's why Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, ministered to these Ephesians and ministers to us by the power of the Holy Spirit that you and I, our position is in Christ ascended. He is in the glory. What waits for us is glory. Do we have that now? Not yet. But it's ours. Where someone would put a million dollars in my bank account. And I may not be able to draw it now, but I could always look forward to it when I would, because it would still be mine. It's all ours. It's ours. The book of Ephesians clearly spells out the very high priestly prayer of Jesus in John the 17th chapter, that there is oneness in Christ. Listen, I'm one with him. He ever lives to make intercession for us. In other words, he's for us. When we fail, yeah. When we're in the flesh, yes. When we can't experience it because we're occupied with something other than him, Yes. When we try to depend on something to try, to try and win approval or acceptance, yes, still for us. Still for us. Our position in Christ is we are dead and risen with Christ and seated in the heavenlies in Christ. This is the height of the Christian position. 
the book of Ephesians. That's where we are. That's where the cross has delivered us. We are a heavenly people. Listen, everything about our life while we're on this earth is that. That's what the cross did. The cross separated us from the world by the death of Jesus Christ. When we receive Christ, we receive the fact that he, in that death with us in him, separated us from the world. And then he sent us back into it with his resurrection life. In it, yes. In John 17, 14, and John 17, 16, but not of it. We don't define ourselves of it. We don't define ourselves by what the world thinks of us or what we in the flesh think of ourselves. We do not give it authority because when we do, we begin to withdraw from him. It affects us. And though we may still depend on him in areas, is he affectionately ours and are we? And his affection, his Really? I mean, is it really real? I mean, does he really live to make intercession for us? Is that what he's doing right now? Well, Hebrews 7.25 and Hebrews 9, verse 24 and Romans 8, verse 34 make it very clear. He is making intercession for us. Everything about him, everything about the cross is he's for us. That's why it spells out. And God wants to make it very clear to us in our experience. I love you. And you are never to know yourself. And you can never know who you are outside of my love. And that's why I have positioned you in my beloved. You are, in Ephesians 1.6, accepted in the beloved. Not based upon anything other than who he made you and I to be. All of our value is in him. All of our value is in his love for us. That's why in 1 John 4, 10, here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then in 4, 19, of course we love him. Yes. He's given us the means by which we can love him. It's his love for us. That's the issue. And when we try to make anything other than that issue, it's only knowledge. And all that knowledge can do is puff us up. It's all it can do. And it puffs us up. And then we fall as a novice in 1 Timothy 3, 6 into the condemnation of the devil. And in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I don't know anything about this book. About theology, about scholarship. I don't know a single thing if I don't know it, in the love of God manifested in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't even want to think on it, and I certainly don't want anyone else to get it from me. Not a single thing. So the death of Christ puts us completely outside the world, the satanic world system, completely outside of it. The resurrection of Christ sends us into it again as new creatures in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. That's who he's made us to be. We're new creature messengers of the peace that he gives 
entirely apart from what is going on in the world. We've got peace. You want to know what peace is? And this is what love, being occupied with I love you, brings us joy. Brings us joy. And then what does it give us? It gives us peace. Inward, an inward state of untroubled, undisturbed well-being. Do you hear it? Because there was nothing, there is nothing, and never has been anything that could ever disturb or distract the Father's love from the Son and from the Son to the Father, with the Holy Spirit proceeding from both. There was nothing that could ever disturb it. Nothing. Nothing could disturb it. His love. It gives joy and it gives us a peace, an inward state of undisturbed, undistracted well-being. Man, he loves me. Oh, and I don't want to fail. But when I do, he gives me a godly sorrow in 2 Corinthians 7.10. And it's a sorrow not the world would give me because it can't fulfill anything. It never could. But a godly sorrow never to be regretted because of his love for us. Loves us. He's made us meet in Colossians 1.12. He's qualified us to walk in the light of his love and what it has made us to be in his sight. So what's God's view? What's God's sight of us? It's Christ and who we are in him and who he is in us and who we are in him. Positional truth, foundational truths, growth truths, all accomplished by the cross. And it goes into all the types in the Old Testament. Every single thing about the Old Testament, we give no understanding apart from Jesus Christ. In between both Testaments, old and new, is the cross. <laughs> Their faith looked forward with all the types and all the teaching looked forward to the cross. Our faith looks back to the cross and we all meet at the cross. And that says, I love you. So Lord, we thank you we praise you for this morning. We thank you for the truth. We are so dependent on you. Thank God that you cause us to be dependent on a love that never, ever fails. We may, and we will, but that love loved us before we failed while we were failing and after we failed was waiting in Isaiah 30, 18 and as the prodigal in Luke 15 to be gracious unto us. That was it. God forbid that we want to live in the world's definition and self-flesh's definition of a wretched man that I am. But that we are, we have Christ in us in Colossians 1, The hope, the guarantee of a brilliant glorious future because we are his now in Jesus name Amen Thank you for listening in we hope you were blessed and God was glorified feel free to go to our website at awordofgrace.org for daily posts and teachings